The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, TJ Reeves. Well, welcome in, everybody, as we get ready to preview some action all over the globe coming up this weekend. We've got pressers, plural, for Gervonta Davis and Ryan Garcia. We've got fight news. We've got nostalgia and much more. It is the Big Fight Weekend preview. As we head into another weekend, I am the somewhat capable host, somewhat rested, tons of college basketball. He is our insider from BigFightWeekend.com, his Fight Freaks Unite Substack. Hello, Dan Rayfield, smiling, I can tell you, public, ear to ear, because we tape this Thursday night going into Friday after a Duke easy win. Let's go Duke uh, in the ACC tournament. So I know you're smiling uh, for that. We got college basketball every which direction. Did I mention to you before I'm headed to Atlantic City this weekend? No, not for a title fight, but I've got a college basketball tournament uh, in Atlantic City at Fame Boardwalk Hall, what was the Atlantic City Convention Center, uh, where they've held the Miss America pageant. That was uh, what? Uh, Tyson Spinks, uh, a few other uh, big time fights. I think you probably covered a couple of them, Dan. I'm is that, the, do- is that the board? Is it Boardwalk Hall? Boardwalk Hall, which is oh. what was the convention center. You've been there a bunch. Well, right, there's for two convention fights. centers. There's the one by the train station, and this is the one that's actually on the boardwalk. If you're so, in the building that's on the boardwalk, I've covered a million fights there. That's what it know. is. Bernard Hopkins fights Kelly Pavlik against Jermaine Taylor, Klitschko, Cotto. Um, I mean, you name it. Uh, just uh, many, many fights. Uh, Sergio Martinez and Paul Williams, both fights, the one upstairs and the other one downstairs. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think if you really if you really took a look at like all the activity that's taking place in Boardwalk Hall, in the not the upstairs venue, but the main, the big one, right. the, the main arena, I think I've probably covered every single main event there over the last 20 years. I might have missed one or two. I know I missed one Floyd Mayweather fight years ago, but pretty much, you know, what, what's what been there? Kovalev against Bernard Hopkins. A bunch. Andre Ward against Carl Frotch. You are confirming you never judged Miss America, though, the Miss America pageant. You were never a judge on the Miss America pageants. I, that I, I, I can forever. confirm nor deny. <laughs> All right. We have lots to get to. I will be there because the uh, Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference, small conference, plays its tournament there. I'll be doing national radio coverage of the Saturday night title game. The only intriguing thing about that is Rick Patino. Yes, the famous Rick Patino is the coach of Iona. Now I'm speaking your language up in New York. That uh, they are one of the favorite teams, and Patino may get back in the NCAA tournament on an automatic bid, and may be looking to take another job. Stay tuned if you're a college you know, basketball person. Again, we're going to get off the beaten trail here a little bit. One of the first like famous sports people I ever interviewed. I mean, not the first one, but early on in my mm-hmm. in my days as a sports journalist, your formative years. If yeah, you exactly. I I actually Rick Patino is one of the first interviews I ever had. Uh, I used to work at the newspaper in Saratoga Springs, New York, and Rick Pitino was uh, a regular in the August uh, time frame during the horse racing meet. And uh, uh, I had Would this have been when he was the Knicks coach after Providence, probably. I, I 90s, have to be honest, I don't remember. Nineties, like early nineties. It would have been like somewhere between like 93, 94, 95. So, so, so then he's the Kentucky coach. He's the yeah, Kentucky coach like, coming back to New York, right? So um, I don't remember what he was the coach. I just remember having a, an interview. He was, he was a cool guy to deal with, and I enjoyed He never looked at you like, who in the world are you? He gave you the time of day. No, no, he listen, gave you he the was, interview. That's good. He knew I was like, a, you know, we had a small staff at the sports paper. I was one of uh, uh, I was the one of the main writers for our sport. We had like three full-timers in our sports department, and I was one of them. 
And uh, he was there doing some activity, but also there partly because of the horse racing that he was involved in and uh, had a great interview with him. And I remember that, uh, you know, how many years it is later, 30 years later. You are just a pound full of nostalgia at all times. And we will get to Ali Frazier nostalgia and some others here on the show. Uh, All right. So as we released the podcast, they were having press conference number two. And I must confess to you, I was not paying attention on press conference number two. So my first question to you is, did Gervonta Davis ever show up? Because he was making everybody wait again in California, just like he did in New York. So they kicked it off with the press junket fight to be April 22nd. I'm like half serious, half kidding, though, on on did he finally ever make it? And they did the second press conference confirmed. He did make it. So for the first one that uh, so we're taping this on on Thursday, the first one took place on Wednesday in New York. And that started a mere about one hour and 50 minutes late. And it was very <laughs> unusual. I was watching it on on a Showtime stream on uh, YouTube and they actually started the official proceedings. And on one side of the dais, you had Ryan Garcia, his trainer, Joe Goosen, his two promoters, Oscar De La Hoya and Bernard Hopkins from Golden Boy. And you had Brian Custer from Showtime as the MC and handling all the particulars. And on the other side of the dais was empty. And Tom Brown was there, who actually, I guess, was on that side of the dais. He's the promoter from TGB, who's the promoter of the event uh, with Golden Boy with you know for PBC. And they started the press conference. And at that point, uh, Gervonta Davis and his trainer, uh, uh, Calvin Ford, had not taken their seats yet. So I've, it's rare to see a press conference start when one of the two main guys, the other boxer, is not present. Now, he did show up within a few minutes after that. So today, meaning uh, Thursday, uh, the over-under was would they start before an hour and 50 minutes late or under. <laughs> if you had the under, uh, I'm in my bet U.S. mode, you yes. would have been the winner because that second press conference only started a little over an hour late oh. or thereabouts. And, uh, yes, Gervonta was there. Uh, today, he uh, in, the, in the second press conference, he was not wearing the pink jacket with the green handbag. He was uh, a little more, uh, I don't know if I could say he was um, less ostentatious in his dress, let's say. That's some vocabulary. I love that. It's, it's a little warmer in California. Didn't he have the fur on? Did he have the fur on in the New York press He had the fur conference? On, on the first press conference. You can't wear that in California. We know that. Yes, we, so, we can't do that. Yeah, there was, uh, if, if put it like this, if there was a fashion battle between Tank and Ryan, it was probably a draw because Ryan had his, like, his kind of cool looking coat with the pants. And today he had the vest with the sparkly shit on it. And, uh, and uh, I think it was a draw if you're going for the strictly based on, on the fashion uh, statements, he was wearing, what, what do you call them? He was wearing like, they weren't quite long pants, but they weren't quite shorts. What do they call those? I don't know what that is. Like skinny George, jeans. I, George, I don't know. George, like I don't short, know. Short, I don't know what they you're, were. You're asking jeans. me about fashion that you're asking the wrong person know. about that. We got to look into but that. But anyway, so, Unrelated to the fashion uh, that mm-hmm. was being on display, I found it very interesting. First of all, they were good press conferences. I mean, it, it, they, they served their purpose to get you hyped up for the fight. Obviously, they're trying to move tickets. They're trying to get you excited, trying to, you know, have these guys uh, be out there and talk about it. So a lot of respect at the first press conference. Um, they they got in their, each other's face at the end for the face-off. They were professional. No, they didn't put hands on each other, but they were, they were drawn back and forth. And I'm sure that uh, Showtime had its uh, microphones there. We couldn't hear it there. We'll probably won't find out about it till uh, they start with some of their all access uh, pre you know programming prior to the fight. In any event, um, they were respectful of each other in their individual interviews. Ryan uh, said a lot of nice things about Tank's abilities when he was there, and the other guy wasn't. He sat down during the pre-show, uh, and then you know what? After that, 
when they started to speak today, it got a lot more chippy. When Ryan Garcia got up there, he started to talk about I was knocking him out and this and that, and he better, you know, he's if I touch him with my left hook, he's going to sleep, blah, blah, blah. And, and uh, Tank shot it right back, say, listen, that's all you've got. And they went back and forth, and later on they, they were in each other's face again. Uh, there was definitely uh, a difference of uh, intensity level, let's say, from from the first press conference to the second press conference where it was sort of get to know you on the first one. And by the end of the one on, on the next day, they were sort of like kind of sick of each other. Now put this in context for a second, TJ, because boxing doesn't do this anymore. A few years ago for the biggest fights at De La Hoya versus Mayweather, a Canelo versus Mayweather, those fights, they would have maybe like four five, six type city press tours. And they were like a pretty big deal. Like I remember Canelo and Mayweather uh, and Mayweather and Oscar, they both stopped here in Washington, D.C. area. I attended those press conferences and they would go around the country. Uh, and by the time it was over, they'd be kind of, you know, in each other's face much more so than in the first one. Now, go back into the 80s when there was no social media, there was no Internet to, to promote. There was no, you know, easy access to a, to a, a stream or anything like that. And so they would do the, the, the barnstorm. They would literally go. And do 30 cities. And I've heard Bob Arum tell the story many mm -hmm. times about doing the Matt Marvin Hagler, Tommy Hearns press tour. Now, you want to know why that was a great fight in large part? Because those two guys stood in front of each other 30 straight times over the course of like two and a half weeks. And as Aram says, by the time that press tour is over, they wanted to beat the fuck out of each other and kill <laughs> each other. And when the first bell rang, they did it. They went out there and they tried to beat the other to oblivion. And, uh, you know, you could sense the kind of uh, well, intensity. And, uh, okay, and so let's illuminate. You, ha you had to do that. You had to sell. You didn't have the Internet like you were talking about. So you would go into the local market, and all the local stations were talking about it. The local newspaper was writing about it. And that's the way you knew about the fight besides watching like ESPN, like we've talked about, or CNN Sports Tonight with the late Nick Charles and the late Fred Hickman now uh, as well. If you didn't have the national sports on, the way you found out was the local news and the local paper, and but that's why about, they went to all the cities, yes. Think about this, though. If there was that kind of intensity ratcheted up from Wednesday in New York City to barely 24 hours later in Los Angeles, and it went from, you know, let's say uh, a three on the intensity scale to like a seven or an eight on the intensity scale. Imagine if these guys had to do this another <laughs> six, seven, eight times in a row over the next several days. I understand. I mean, so not the same. I, I can appreciate, obviously, there's a big cost associated with running those types of junkets and press tours and all that. And, you know, the appetite in the local markets may not be as much in terms of the coverage available from your local news or newspaper. But there's something to be said when you can go into the local market and get those people excited and, and, and the people who either watch it or attend it you know, they're telling their brother, they're at the barbershop, right. in, the, in, the, in the drugstore, they're at the gas station, they're at the restaurant, they're talking to the waitress, they're talking to their buddy, they're talking to their, you know, their coworker. And it, it, word of mouth, I'm convinced that that's what made Mayweather versus Canelo into a gigantic fight because the press tour was so incredible. And partly also the same reason uh, De La Hoya and Floyd uh, set the records that it said. It was a combination of those very intense and lengthy press tours combined with the incredible job they did on HBO's 24-7 um, it just is not quite the same these days, but this is still a big fight in the press tour. There were two good press conferences. I'm I'm more excited today, having watched both of those, than I was a couple of days ago, and I've already been excited about it when the, from the time the fight was made. So uh, we're in for a, you know a good month and a half getting ready for this fight. All right, fair enough on that. The only other thing that I'm really interested in is 
Did we ever get to the line of questioning about Davis pleading guilty to the hit and run charges in Baltimore and jail sentence likely, not definite, but jail sentence likely looming here for May 5th? Did we ever get questions and go down the road in either of the press conferences? Because if not, to me, that's that's a waste. You got to be doing your job and you got to at least ask. What about it? Give me the update. I agree in terms of asking. Now, I was not present, obviously, at either of the press conferences. Mm-hmm. So I can't tell you what was said in the scrums when they met with the individual reporters or did a YouTube interview or met with the, 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 the writers, uh, be it print or internet. So I would hope that somebody would have asked. And, and by the way, I would understand, I agree, here's my perspective. It's similar to what you're saying. You got to ask the question mm-hmm. and you can do it in a, in a, in a respectful play manner. Tank, this is a huge fight. You've had a lot of stuff going on outside. Uh, you've got this uh, sentencing hearing coming up. You know, is it in your mind? I mean, in your mind, how does it play into your training? And whatever he says, he says. Now, he may say, I can't talk about it because I'm waiting for that to go down. And you just, you know, no comment. And okay, that's his prerogative. So I always make the point when I'm doing interviews with a with any, not just a boxer, it could be anybody that I've ever interviewed in my entire career. If they consent to an interview, you have the right to ask your question and they have the right to answer it how they want to answer it. So if the answer from Tank Davis or his people was no comment, I mean, so be it. I agree. You got to at least ask the question. He probably would not say much, probably would not elaborate. Uh, so I've heard some people say, well, why bother? It's a waste of time. No, it ain't a waste of time because you never know what they're going to say. your job. Of course. If you're doing so, what, and I'm not saying that about you, I'm saying yeah, yeah. the public, it's our job to ask these different questions and find out what his mindset, see what his reaction is to the question. Sure. Because obviously if he reacts negatively, if he's mad about it, that's a story. So, uh, but we'll, we'll you know, see. I'm not, how much I'm not even suggesting be. that any reporter that would be in a situation to ask him the question, I'm not saying it has to be like an inquisition. You politely ask that. Here's, and a, you here's can... how I ask it. Here's how I would say, just like what you said, you've obviously got a guilty plea and people will wonder, is that going to be a distraction for you in your preparation preparation? Now he can answer it however he wants. And there's the question. Point, how hard is that? There's the question. And depending on what the answer is, you can elect to follow up. And if you get what you what is seems like a complete answer at that point, you move on and talk about the fight. I, I'm not in any way suggesting that it should dominate the coverage of, of the not. fight right, or anything right. like that. But it's a fair question. And then you move on. There's plenty of other things to ask about too, about the fight, about the deal, about the the weight. One thing that was revealed uh for those who may not have been following this closely, Ryan Garcia uh said at the Wednesday press conference that part of his contract. And it's, you know, it's not just him, it's both sides. They are um, under a rehydration clause, meaning they have to weigh no more than 136 at the weigh-in on Friday, but neither guy can go up more than 10 pounds to uh, a second weigh-in, which will take place on the day of the fight. Like, and that's, I've seen that happen before. Now that's a second day weigh-in that's not administered to by the commission. Once the official weigh-in is over and the commission is out of it, but the a private negotiation took place to call together the parameters of doing that morning of weight check and which point they can't be more than 146. So uh, I don't, I'm not a fan of those. I think it's uh, it's kind of silly. And the reason I think so in this case in particular, this is not a case of a fighter from a small weight class taking on a guy from a much bigger weight class. And you have to find a, a spot in the middle to make the catch weight. Even in that event, I'm against it. If you're, if you don't want to let the guy weigh what he weighs after the weigh and then don't make the catch weight fight, but that's a different story. In this case, it's even more of a ridiculous concept to do the second day weight check because they are both lightweights by reality mm-hmm. yes ryan garcia has had his last two bouts in the technically in the junior welterweight division 
Uh, and Tank Davis also, by the way, has fought one fight in the junior welterweight division where he went up and fought Mario Barrios, knocked him out to win the WBA's secondary title. Uh, other than the size in terms of the height, in terms of the weights that they fought at, Ryan Garcia and 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 Gervonta Davis are based, they're the same size. They're lightweights within a couple of pounds. So for them on the tank side to insist on this morning of weight check and a rehydration clause, I find to be absolutely ridiculous. I mean, if it had the to be, assumption, had to be a- the logical assumption would be they're concerned that Garcia might have 15, 20 pounds that he puts on. And now he weighs 10 or more pounds than Davis on the night of the fight. That's but the that's logical. Life. That's life I mean, that's boxing, the, man. the I'm idea not, is make I'm not saying that it's right or wrong. I'm just yeah, saying no. that that appears to be why they would want that. Right. Of course it is. But you make 136 and that should be the end of it, particularly because you are a, the same size in terms of your weight. Uh, over the last number of years in your career. And Ryan Garcia, to my recollection, is not a guy that comes and stands on a scale at whatever the contract weight is, and suddenly the next day he's put on 20 pounds. He's not a guy that goes up, you know, super uh, crazy after a weigh-in. So I I found that part of the – to be just preposterous. Uh, If it had to be just to make sure the fight got made, so be it. But I'm just making the point here that this is just another example of all of the things that Ryan Garcia did to bend over backwards – and to give in on everything to make this fight happen. He took less money. He took second billing. He took a, a rehydration clause that he didn't want. He he doesn't have the right to a rematch, and, and Gervonta Davis does. Uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, that just shows me that he wanted this fight more than anybody. And I mean, he wanted this fight even more than Tank did. Now, respect the Tank for taking the fight, fair enough. But this fight would not happen without the inner will drive and stick to if you will, of Orion Garcia and concessions he's, he's con- and his promoter. Yeah. He's conceding an awful lot is what you're saying. Everything. And, and tank Davis isn't conceding really anything in this. And as I keep saying, Ryan Garcia is betting on himself and you like, you kind of like that. He's betting on it. himself that if I win this, I have all the leverage now uh, in this uh, because uh, you know, he's taking less and the whole broadcaster thing and all of that, that all flips in his favor with the victory. Listen, so, but even if he loses, still respect him for what yes. he did to get taking all the concessions. You can't, you, you, you can't have it both ways. You can't say, Oh, he's just a pretty boy and a social media guy, and then not give him respect for being right. the one to make sure this fight happened. Good enough. Lots on the coverage there. Let's get to the fights themselves. I didn't even mention what we have uh here and by the way i didn't even mention this either thank you for finding us however you found us here on the big fight weekend podcast social media link dan substack on our bigfightweekend.com website uh etc make sure you're following and subscribing because we preview going into the weekend we recap as well coming off the weekend uh here as part of the big fight weekend uh preview so with all of that being said let's get into the fights that we do have and it is a a very intriguing fight i realize this is halfway around the globe down under in australia but it's a really big deal whenever tim zoo's in the ring in that country wbo's number one ranked 154 pounder taking on tony harrison former world champ of the wbc briefly for one fight uh, at, at 154 pounds. This one for Sunday afternoon in Australia, Saturday night, prime time, late night in the United States. I am intrigued. Uh, let's get into this one a little bit here because, again, this is this is a guy who, in terms of boxers, is the most prominent boxer, son of a Hall of Famer, in Australia. 
And it's a big deal when he fights on pay-per-view in that country. And luckily, it's worked out to where we get to see it at a reasonable hour in this country. And here we go, Dan Rayfield. Yeah, it's very intriguing. I mean, it's a good matchup. Uh, 1045 in the United States, uh, Eastern Time on Showtime. Uh, and and by the way, the reason it's taking place when it's taking place in Australia is in part because of the ability to align it with what works for Showtime, uh, which is you know going to pay good money for this fight also. So uh, as you mentioned, an interesting fight. Uh, Tim Zhu was supposed to be fighting Charlo for the undisputed title. That was supposed to be back in January. Everybody knows at this point that Charlo suffered the fractured hand in two places. He's on the shelf for the next few months. Uh, but Tim Zhu is the mandatory. He didn't want to just sit around waiting for that fight. So they set up a fight for the interim title, which makes sense. I mean, I rail against interim titles all the time. <laughs> the time it makes sense is when it's because of an injury. And in this particular instance, with Charlo being out for a number of months, uh, it only makes sense to allow uh, the number one challenger to take on uh, the next available guy, which is Tony Harrison, for that interim title. And whoever wins this fight, will be the opponent when Charlo comes back because he'll be mandated to fight that winner. Everybody knows that's the case. Uh, so much to the point that Showtime, which is going to be in their studio calling this fight with their broadcast team, they're going to have Charlo in the studio with them to partake and offer his views and opinions on what he's watching against the guy who he's going to have to face next, whether it's Tim Zhu or Tony Harrison, who obviously he's very familiar with. One of the reasons that the Zoo people were very interested to fight Tony Harrison was to try to have their guy, Tim Zhu, make a statement against Tony Harrison, who was the only person to have a win against Charlo, which was when he won the title. Obviously, he got knocked out when they fought in the rematch, but he's the only guy to get a W over Charlo. And so it makes for sort of an interesting uh, sort of fight to hear what Charlo's got to say about it, see if Harrison can earn himself a rubber match, see if Tim Zhu can get over the hump and, and get set for this fight between those two guys, which probably would take place in the early summer. And even if that wasn't what this was setting up, it's still an interesting matchup. Tim Zhu and, and Tony Harrison are uh, inarguably among the top, uh, what, six or seven junior middleweights in the weight class. Uh, I give Tony a lot of credit for having the uh, the willingness without even a second uh, a second thought about making this match and going to fight Tim Zhu in Australia, where obviously he's going to be the huge hometown favorite. Um, having watched some of the videos of uh, Tony since he's been down there, it seems like he's having a good time uh, play, playing with some of the press from Australia and and, uh, and uh, you know, being the center of attention and all that. So uh, it's good. It's good for the sport. I'm glad to see guys willing to travel. I think in the ring, it should be a pretty good fight. Uh, you know, may the best man win. I uh, I love whenever we can profile somebody that's such a great story here. And we talked a bunch about this fight, by the way. We've already done the Bet US show for this week. So, again, that's available right now. Whenever you're hearing us, it's available right now via the Bet US platforms on YouTube, on Twitch, and elsewhere. Uh, we both believe this is a zoo knockout. It's just a matter of how quickly does he get him or not, and how how much trouble does Harrison give him or not uh, in this fight. So it will be intriguing. It will be intriguing to hear what Charlo has to say about it, particularly if this ends fairly quickly. Again, we're almost we're almost discounting the fact that Tony Harrison beat. He was given the decision. Put it this way: Charlo still disputes that to this day in December of 2018. Uh, but uh, he did beat Jermel Charlo on the record book, got his hand raised. So he is a former world champion. Now, Charlo stopped him in the rematch a year later. Uh, but by the same token, this should be a zoo knockout. We both believe that. And then let's set into motion the undisputed title fight with Jermel Charlo for later on this year. That's what we're looking forward to. Let's see what happens with that. 
yeah, I mean, either way, whoever wins is going to be fighting for the undisputed title. If it's Tony Harrison in a third fight, uh, it may be a little less spicy, let's say, a little less interesting. Uh, but if it's Zoo, that's a, that's certainly an interesting fight. I know I was very uh, interested when the fight was made in the first place. And so now if it gets delayed for, you know, a few months because of the injury and he has this interim fight, uh, you know, happy to see Tony get another opportunity. It's going to be up to Tony to prove that he can take the shot. I mean, he's been knocked out in his three losses. Um, I don't necessarily think it's a quick knockout when Tony has been stopped. Uh, it's not like they were in the first round or anything like that. I mean, he went 11 rounds uh, when he got before he got stopped in the rematch. You know, when he got stopped by Jared Hurd when he uh, was in a vacant title fight back in 2017, that fight went into the ninth round. Uh, and then when he fought Willie Nelson, this was a non-title fight back in 2015, was also a knockout. But again, it wasn't like the first round. By, by the way, in the you ninth and round. I you and I were both in the building that night and we didn't really know each other. I knew of you. That's I right. knew you. That was in the, the old uh, sun dome. What's the yingling center in Tampa uh, on the undercard of the Keith Thurman, Luis Colazzo fight where Harrison wore down. Harrison was winning the fight and wore down and Willie Nelson, no, not the famous singer. Uh, Willie Nelson, the fighter put it on him. Significant underdog, put it on him and stopped him uh, that night. Uh, so, uh, all right, we'll see what happens. Uh, with this one in Australia, and we are intrigued by everything that's going to happen there. Uh, coming up with Tim Zhu and Tony Harrison, Saturday night in the U.S., Sunday afternoon in Australia. We also want to remind you on the Big Fight Weekend preview that you, yes, you, have got a chance to win an all-inclusive trip to the upcoming David benavides Caleb Plant pay-per-view fight in Las Vegas at the end of the month. Yes, Showtime and the fight promotion are giving away a great opportunity for somebody. One grand prize winner. Get a load of this. Airfare, accommodation, tickets to the fight, and $1,000 spending cash. It could be you. Just go to ppvsweeps.com for the pay-per-view sweepstakes. ppvsweeps.com to find out more about the giveaway. And they're going to have a bunch of other secondary prizes, including uh, free opportunities to uh, see the pay-per-view. You want to go there. You want to register. You want to try to win. It's this big of a fight. It's a it's a big-time super middleweight fight. The belief is, in particular, if Benavidez wins, he may be in the running for Canelo Alvarez at some point. So it's a pay-per-view showdown. And again, ppvsweeps.com for your chance to win tickets for two to get... Uh, fly there, stay there, go to the fight, and $1,000 spending cash. So that is outstanding stuff. Go to ppvsweeps.com to find out more. There are secondary prizes as well. One key stipulation, you've got to get in by Sunday. This Sunday, March the 12th, is the deadline to register and get in. Find out more, ppvsweeps.com. For the pay-per-view sweepstakes from Showtime Boxing for Benavides and Plant, ppvsweeps.com. All right, rolling along uh, earlier in the day, U.S. time, primetime in Liverpool, England. It has now been elevated to the main event, super middleweights, Diego Pacheco unbeaten against Jack Cullen of the U.K. This is the DAZN uh, show uh, coming on Saturday. All right, so tell me more about this one, Dan Rayfield, including Pacheco, uh, great prospect, good puncher, scored a lot of knockouts, and he has now been elevated to the main event. Give us more. Well, you said it right there. This, this kid is uh, one of the best prospects in boxing. I had him in my top five in the end of the year prospect rankings I did on my Fight Freaks Unite when I do my annual prospects listing. 
He's only 22 years old from Los Angeles, was a top-notch amateur. Now as a professional, 17-0 with 14 knockouts. He's starting to grow into his man strength. He's, he's uh, been on a knockout binge. Uh, and, and, again, he's not fighting like the, the biggest names and the top guys or anything like that. But you can look at a guy and you can say, this guy's got talent. And you can see that he's been learning. If you've watched his fights, they've been streaming on zone. whether they're part of the main card. He started off with these fights that were on there before the bell part of the stream. And uh, he's a very exciting fighter to watch. He's got that hunger. He's got some charisma to him. And uh, as you mentioned, this was this is the main event on the DAZN show. It wasn't originally supposed to be the main event. So this was not sort of a fight that was made by design to be the main event. They're sort of trying to make do with the best that they can. Because remember, Callum Smith was supposed to be in the main event in a, in a stay busy kind of fight. Not against a top name opponent, but he's the mandatory that's next up for Arthur Better Beef a fight that will probably take place later in the year. But he wanted to get a fight in before that, uh, which made sense, but he got injured, and so he's off the show. And so instead of kill the whole card, uh, Matchroom Boxing and DAZN opted to go forward with it, and they took Pacheco, who they think has star power and a future championship uh, potential, and they moved his fight up the show to the main event, and he's taken on Jack Cullen. Uh, you know, I kind of feel like it's probably going to be easy work for him. Cullen is not like a terrible fighter or anything like that. I'm not knocking the kid, but – uh, he's 21, three and one. He's been knocked out in all three of his losses. Uh, sometimes, you know, early-ish by just, you know, not terrible opponents, but just regular kind of opponents. You know, he lost in like a European uh, title fight, for example, a um, couple, uh, couple, two fights ago. That was uh, in the end of last year. And so it's a chance, really. This is uh, supposed to be a showcase for Pacheco to see, if to, for Matchroom to see, you know, uh, once again, what do they think they have for DAZN to try to build this kid's profile and, uh, you know, Jack Cullen is the opponent and uh, it doesn't look good for him. But look, Jack Cullen is from England. He'll have the home crowd on his side. They'll be cheering him on. Uh, he's going to have the comforts of the hometown. Pacheco, first time he's fighting as a professional outside the United States. Um, see if he can handle it. And a couple of things. Let's hear it from well, Pacheco. I should say one thing. He has fought in Mexico, Pacheco. Right. But being that he's from Mexican background and it was, you know, he was on their show, wasn't that big of a thing. But he's now going overseas, a little bit more of a daunting thing. Uh, not fighting in the United States and fighting in Mexico compared to going to fight in the UK. And let's hear it for him. Seven fights. We went over this on the Bet US show uh, previously um, that Pacheco's fought seven times since the beginning of 2021. This is his first fight this year, but I think it was four fights in 2021 and three more fights in 2022. Very active. The last four fights, by the way, have all been knockouts in the fifth round or earlier. So the over-under there is four and a half rounds. Cullen has been stopped or knocked out three previous times. Let's see if Pacheco delivers. Certainly that's well, what it's set up for, but let's see can, what happens. You can tell the matchroom what they think of him because he, I, I should have mentioned also, he did have another fight that was outside the United States where he fought in Saudi Arabia. He was featured as one of the bouts when Anthony Joshua had the rematch with, uh, with uh, Andy Ruiz, which was a very big fight at the time. So when, when your promoter, which has a variety of younger fighters, and they can pick and choose who they want to put on whatever card. You know, they have to give their guy a certain number of fights. But if they really think highly of you, they're going to put you on the big-time show. And so Diego Pacheco, when he's been undercard uh, performer over recent fights, he's been on the bigger show. So if they were sending him to Saudi Arabia to fight underneath Anthony Joshua, and then they were sending him to the U.K. to fight, uh, you know, on Callum Smith's card, etc., you know that they have high hopes for this guy. And uh, let's see if he can keep on proving it.
All right, good enough on that one. And then let's continue with the kind of European theme that's going on Saturday night in uh, Paris, but it will be Saturday afternoon in the United States. Tony Yoka, Carlos Takam. Uh, Takam is the veteran heavyweight. Yoka, again, a bit of an enigma here. Ha- has the Olympic gold medal, had the unbeaten record, but there are real questions about his want to, southern phrase, want to. We got, we got some questions about his want to. I don't know how that... Uh, translates in French. Uh, he's been out of the ring since Martin Bacoli stopped him and beat him. You loved my phrase when I said it last summer, pillar to post. He bet he beat him from the beginning of the fight. But he didn't, he didn't stop. Let's let's be fair. He didn't stop him. It was a majority decision. But he but still it was, should not have been a majority decision. Absolute joke. But, but he didn't but, but more importantly he didn't stop him. But Stopping still he he could have maybe on a couple of occasions stomped on the accelerator the fight would have been over. He was waving at Yoka's corner like how much more you want me to beat up on your guy? He's got nothing for me tonight. And that was just shocking to watch. So the real question as we lead into this, with Yoka match now with a with a veteran who's been in there in some world title situations, uh, et cetera, is does he have it? I said this to you on the Bet US show. Does he have it right here in the heart? Does he really want this? I guess we're going to find out coming up Saturday. I tend to think the answer is yes. You don't become the super heavyweight gold medalist usually if you don't have something inside. Uh, and that would go for any weight class. Um, but he's been, as I have mentioned before, kind of maddeningly inconsistent as a professional. Uh, he was undefeated before Bacall won that uh, majority decision over him. Um, but, you know, that was the first time he sort of really stepped up against like a a, a more solid guy. You know, he fought the Johan Duhapis type guys who had fought for a title, but was, you know, not in anything spectacular. He fought the Christian Hammer, who's been in with everybody, but would get beaten. Uh, you know, he looked you know, decent against some of those guys. He beat Alexander Dimitrenko, who's been in some bigger fights by knockout. But I feel like this fight against Takam is by far his most significant fight because Takam has proven that even when he's lost, he can usually hang in with better guys. I mean, he's been stopped a few times over the years, um, but he's not a joke. Carlos Takam can fight a bit. I mean, he's 42 years old now. It's not like he's getting any younger and he's coming off a couple losses in a row. He lost a decision to the Canadian uh, based guy, uh, uh, Arslan Beck Makhmadov. That was a that was a ESPN Plus fight, so you could watch it here in the States. And by the way, this fight between Takam and Yoka is available in the United States. 245, the card starts on ESPN Plus on Saturday. He did get knocked out in round six by Joe Joyce in his previous fight in the summer of 2021. Obviously, there's no shame in getting knocked out by Joe Joyce, who's one of the best heavyweights out there. Uh, but he's competing. He beat Jerry Forrest. He's been in the ring with Derek Chisora, who stopped him. He got a title fight against Anthony Joshua, who stopped him. Um, he fought a tough fight against uh, that was actually quite competitive, my recollection, against Joseph Parker back uh, a few years ago. So he's very experienced. He did uh, also have a knockout loss against Alexander Povetkin, who obviously was a top heavyweight for many, many years. Um, he beat Tony Thompson, who's the old veteran. Uh, but Takam Tuk- has a, a laundry list of good opponents he's fought. He's won some. He's lost some. At 42, let's see, you know, for Tony Yoka to get, a, a, I think, coming off the loss, not that he has to, but you'd like to see him make a statement. It's kind of for Tony. I mean, I know he's only got 12 pro fights, but it's not like he's a young guy. It's not like, you know, he's 21 or something like that. He's, he's been around for several years, 30 years old now. Yep. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of like, let's shit or get off the pot kind of situation for him. You know, you're going to become a, a real contender and maybe go on to challenge or win a heavyweight title. If that's the case, you better get your shit moving now. It's time to get going. Agreed. Uh, you and I both believe that this will be a knockout. You tend to think it's going to be a little longer here. I took uh, the money line the Bet US show. You did. I took a knockout here for Yoka. I think he will put it on 
uh, to come, but it may take a while. It may take a little bit here. And that's a schedule clarify. That's a schedule 10 rounder, not a yes. 12 round 10 rounder uh, for this one in Paris Saturday. ESPN plus will have it in the United States. So we look forward to seeing what's going to happen on that. All right, let's get to a little fighter news and then some nostalgia before we are done. You laid it out well on the Fight Freaks Unite recap off the weekend that Gennady Golovkin was more than likely going to vacate the last remaining of his two unified titles. That did, in fact, happen. Uh, so now just follow up. What are you hearing on what what's going to be his next move uh, now that he went ahead and vacated uh, here the other title? Well, Thursday afternoon, uh, his team, his lawyer, John Hornauer, sent a letter to the WBO, uh, rather to the WBA, my mistake, uh, vacating that title as we thought was quite possible. And the reason for that is because he faced a upcoming purse bid uh, for a mandatory against the regular title holder, Arislandi Lara. The, the WBA's goal here is to get down to one champion per weight class, whether they fought it out or a guy vacated. You know, for them, I don't think it really quite much mattered. They probably would like to see the fight happen. They get sanction fees. But nonetheless, uh, the Lara fight, while I thought was actually a decent fight compared to what else was available out there, the, the hard reality is Triple G no longer has a broadcast contract. Triple G is his own promoter. There's no guarantees from anybody anymore. He's not cashing eight-figure checks like he's done for the last several fights during his uh, contract with the zone, which expired with the end of the fight against Canelo Alvarez, their third fight that took place last fall. So no one's knocking the matchup between Triple G and Lara in my mind. I thought it was a decent fight. Like I said, the problem is there was no, I use the term, no commercial viability. And when I say that, what I mean is, uh, would Showtime maybe have put it on a PBC card? Would ESPN might have put up uh, and put on the fight or something? Or DAZN, maybe Eddie would do the fight or Golden Boy. But the thing about it was, even if they were willing to go to a purse bid and bid the fight, the number of dollars that we would be willing to invest in that kind of match would be so small that for Golovkin, who's been making eight figures, it would make no sense. I mean, if you're making... $10 million. Even, even if you go back to when he fought Zeremeta, a mandatory fight in the early part of his zone contract where he wasn't making like 10, 12, $15 million, but at the very, and I don't know the exact number, but he was probably making at least in the mid to high seven figures, you know, if not touching eight figures. But the point here is this, even for a large fight, he wouldn't even come close to that because no one going to put up that kind of money to make this kind of fight. So the at market that point, has changed. You're exactly the market right. has post, changed. Po post pandemic, the guaranteed money is going down. Well, more than post pandemic, so it's, it's, it's all the post, above. It's post Triple G Nello three, where he looked yeah. terrible, and he's 40 years old. He's at the end of the line. Uh, I'm not saying he's completely done. He could probably still beat a lot of guys. He probably would be Lar, in my opinion. But he's going to do it for money. And at this stage, if you can't get paid that, it made no sense to keep the title. I think his move, you asked me, what is his next yes. move? He has now vacated the WBA title because of the, in my estimation, lack of commercial viability of that fight. About a month earlier, and we talked about it here on the podcast, he vacated the IBF title uh, for a similar reason because an even less viable marketable fight was a mandatory against Esquiva Falcao, an undefeated contender from Brazil who was with top rank, um, did Nobody really was interested. I mean, Top Rank would have done the fight, but they wouldn't have paid anything to Golovkin to do it. And they were looking to get somebody to take uh, Falcao off their hands and pay him, uh, put it on their show instead of taking up their budget. So that fight was a, was a dead ender. And so what does he do now? I know that there's people around him and it's something he's wanted to do for a while. I could see, and I don't know who it's going to be against or if it's truly legit and could happen or if it did when, but 
the the best move for him if he's and we all know he's not going to fight much longer. If Gennady wanted to go home and try to do like a homecoming fight in Kazakhstan to say goodbye, you know, mm-hmm. again, I'm not saying go out there and you're going to get Killer Joe uh, or even Joe Smith like Bernard Hopkins did, uh, thanks to me. Uh, Google it if you don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, they could get a reputable, like solid opponent, but a guy that Gennady would probably beat, bring him home. And if you're in Kazakhstan where he's a national hero and he's been so important to their uh uh, culture and country for the last so many years that you could probably have government funding. You could probably have a good amount of sponsors. In other words, you could probably derive enough money by having the fight there uh, with with uh, all the hoopla that would be associated if it was going to be a farewell kind of fight for him where he could make a good payday, as could his opponent, and just put on a nice event and go that route. And, you know, even without all the other hoopla of broadcasters still make money and they could probably still sell it to an ESPN Plus or DAZN or wherever and, uh, and maybe they could do the fight that way. So I think that might be the move to, to try to see if you can put together some kind of homecoming in Kazakhstan and, uh, and, and bring the national hero back home to uh, say goodbye. Uh, but if it's the end for Golovkin, uh, you know, I don't want to hear the Monday morning quarterbacks. I don't want to hear the naysayers. I covered every single minute of his arise and, and, and sort of uh, petering out. Uh, he is a great fighter. He's going to the Hall of Fame on the first yep. ballot. I don't want to hear he didn't duck anybody. They were ducking him. Um, you know, Canelo tried to age him out, uh, certainly from the third fight. Uh, what can I tell you? He's he's a dynamic, explosive, phenomenal puncher, uh, great fighter, great amateur. This guy had like over 300 wins, Olympic silver medalist uh, during his, uh, you know, near the end of his amateur days. I mean, a, a, a great fighter. And in my estimation, having gotten to know him, you know, pretty well over the, all the years uh you know a good guy at heart i mean you know he was definitely a little prickly in the later years especially as it related to canelo he got to be a little bit more uh, i think jaded and a little more difficult in terms of dealing with media but all in all uh canelo uh, uh gennady golovkin's uh, was a was a good guy to deal with i had the great pleasure of covering virtually every single one of his fights over the last you know since he came to the united states i even went to england to cover his fight against kel brook uh an absolute joy to cover, and frankly, one of the single most exciting fighters I have ever forget about covered, but just seen. Just as a whether I'm talking about as a fan or as a journalist, when Triple G was in the ring, I don't give a shit who he was fighting. I wanted to watch because he just put guys out. And let me tell you, the atmospheres of his fights, at his fights, because he had developed such a cult following, were absolutely phenomenal. I mean, there was one fight, and I don't, I'm trying to remember which fight it was. It might have been the the uh was a fight that was in the um in the uh, in Carson California at the outdoor you know the dig- now what is now the Dignity Health Park then we're talking right. either with StubHub Center or the uh um what was the other name of it StubHub or uh what was the other name of that place not sure like, anyway uh where they made his entrance extra long he took like a set instead of taking the normal short route from the dressing room to the ring they actually did it so he could go all the way around because the fans were so enraptured by it you know they played his music and and uh you know he gave basically to put on a great show for them and take a little extra time to come to the ring that was absolutely spectacular and uh that was just what it was like he rocked the garden he rocked yep. places in la the forum uh stub uh, stubhub center oh, it, was, it was the home depot center stubhub center there you and go. Park. so there you go he played uh to big crowds all around in london he was fighting cal brook who was the 
the uh, British uh, favorite, you know, of the fans. But even then, Triple G had huge amounts of people cheering for him. And I can remember people trying to get into the weigh-in just to get a glimpse of him and take a picture, not necessarily with him, but just of him. That's what a big deal it was. I mean, it was like, you know, the Beatles of one-man show. Uh, so, you know, again, if this is the end of the line, or even if he just does maybe one more fight at home, uh, an absolute privilege and a joy to cover the guy. I mean, as good as it gets in my mind. And, uh, you know, definitely a top all-time middleweight. Not number one, but he would he would give any middleweight, any, any middleweight in the history of boxing, he would give them a run for their money. And I don't care if you're talking about the middleweight Ray Robinson or Marvin Hagler or Bernard Hopkins, you know, pick a middleweight. Uh, he would be in the fight. I'm not saying he would win, but he would be in the fight with any of them. Good stuff on Triple G. One more reminder here that we are being sponsored in part by PPVSweeps.com. That is the pay-per-view for the upcoming uh, battle between David Benavides and Caleb Plant at the end of the month. Showtime pay-per-view. And you, yes, you have got a chance to enter and win through the sweepstakes. A chance for two people to go all expenses paid to Vegas, see the fight, stay and get $1,000 cash. Just go to ppvsweeps.com, ppvsweeps.com to find out more. That includes airfare. That includes accommodation. That includes fight tickets and $1,000 spending cash. That's the grand prize. There's also secondary prizes as well involving free pay-per-views. All of this, if you sign up and register, here's the key. As we release the podcast, you've got to do it by Sunday. Sunday, March 12th is the deadline. Go to ppvsweeps.com to sign up and find out more on the rules, the restrictions. Somebody's going to Benavita's plant and this tremendous super middleweight pay-per-view. You're going to get to go and spend a thousand bucks and have ringside tickets and all of it if you go to ppvsweeps.com. And a little more news, including the monster Naoya Inouye, its official, will be fighting Stephen Fulton for Fulton's unified 122-pound titles. Dan, they've made it official with a date, a location. Give us the particulars real quick here. First of all, I couldn't be more happy about this fight. I'm sure every boxing fan is thrilled. This is a great matchup. And you know what? It shows you sometimes, TJ, that great fights can be made with little drama and fanfare. This fight was made without a lot of uh, uh, chaos and stupidness and nonsense. Uh, like adults, everybody got together and they hammered it out pretty quickly. Stephen Fulton wanted this fight. Uh, no, you know, anyway, very much wanted this fight and they were able to get it done. There was a lot of money to be made. The fight will be May 7th in Yokohama Arena, Yokohama Arena in Yokohama, Japan. The fight will be tele uh, streamed in the United States in the early morning hours of that May 7th date, which is a Sunday in the United States on ESPN+. And uh, it will be a big fight. It should be a great fight. Uh, I'm fascinated by this fight. I love the audacity of, in a way, who's not bullshitting around. He's going right from being the undisputed Bantamweight champion, vacating those titles, now going straight up to 122 and not just trying to take a, you know, feel out kind of fight to see how he feels at the weight or anything along those lines. He said, give me the number one guy right away. I think by all estimations, Stephen Fulton with two of the belts is the number one guy. Most people would certainly rank him ahead of uh, Akhmedaliev that has the other two belts in the weight class. So he's going right for the number one in his first fight. And for Stephen Fulton, you know, he was supposed to fight Figueroa in a rematch, Brandon Figueroa. That fight was all but done, was going to be on Showtime. Uh, they were going to do that fight. Everybody was making plans at Showtime for that fight. But he got this bigger opportunity. That's why Figueroa wound up fighting Mark McSayo instead. But Stephen Fulton wanted this fight. He's got no problem going to Japan. They had a news conference earlier in the week where, in a way, spoke. Stephen Fulton did not travel to uh, Japan for the press conference, but he did appear via video. 
And, uh, you know, my opinion, my opinion said all the right things. You can read the quotes. I wrote about some of it in, mm-hmm. uh, in the piece I did. Um, it just, uh, you know, it's exactly the kind of fight that if you're a fan, you want to see. It's the best uh, in one way class of Bantamweight moving up to take on the best in the next weight class. Uh, in a way, is uh, wants to be an all-time great. He's already kind of, you know, on the way for sure. He's already won titles in uh, impressive fashion in uh, three weight classes. He's going for a title now in a fourth weight class. And for Fulton, what can you say? I mean, he's uh, he's never shied away from the, the bigger names. He's one of these fights. And this is a great matchup. And here again, much like what we talked about with Ryan Garcia, or even to a lesser extent here, Tony Harrison, willing to concede and willing to say, hey, I will go fight in Japan. Now he's getting the biggest payday of his career. We know that. But he's betting on himself. Fulton is betting on himself that if I go to Japan and I win this, I have got not all the cards, but most of the cards right now to make any big fight I want. The rematch within a way, theoretically, hypothetically, would probably be back in the United States. Why not? But he is betting on himself by willing to agree to this. And I'm with you. Bravo. Bravo. No drama. Didn't didn't take five months, eight months to do. This was talked about roughly right for about a month, about a month or six weeks. Here it is. Love Listen, it. First now, of all, we'll have the fight. Yeah, if Fulton happens to win and there is a rematch, I'm pretty sure it would be back in Japan because there's still going to be more money there. But put that aside, even if Stephen Fulton were to lose this fight, just the fact that he went and did this is he's going to make a bigger name for himself in this one fight, win or lose, than he's made in all of his fights so far in his career. And he had a fight of the year caliber kind of fight with Brandon Figaro. I mean, I wish more fighters understood that, that of course winning is important, but if you take the chance to take on another top guy and you come up short, you know, you still get credit for having the balls to do it. I mean, Amen. you know, for, for lack of a better comparison, and, you know, he's more than just what I'm about to mention, but Tommy Hearns got knocked out by Marvin Hagler. Tommy Hearns got knocked out by Ray Leonard. Tommy Hearns did, of course, score a big victory against uh, against Roberto Duran. But he, the two fights between him and Hagler and him and Leonard were two of the biggest fights in boxing history, and he was a knockout victim in both of them. And he lost other fights by knockout. But no one's going to sit here and tell you that Tommy Aarons is not one of the greats. Why? Well, because he did win his share of big fights, but because he was willing and he took on all the best guys and made great fights. And he even won world titles after those losses, which is your point, in other divisions. He kept on fighting and and used the failure or the adversity of a loss to his advantage and then went on to win and succeed. A loss does not take your career away from you. It, 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 it's not it's not a ne- it's not a negative on the legacy of great fighters who have lost Tommy Hearns is as one of the most respected fighters in the history of boxing whatever happened in those big fights and you can I'm just singling Tommy out because he's the one that gets a lot of grief I mean Oscar De La Hoya is an example Oscar lost some of his big fights he won some of he won a lot of his big fights also and people they kind of dump on him a little bit but but Oscar is well respected because one thing that you will say Oscar De La Hoya fought everybody period yep. And the yep. same can be said now, uh, as not they haven't yet done this yet, but they're certainly willing to, as they're showing by their actions. You can say that about guys like Inouye, guys like Stephen Fulton, who is now willing to do this, and he's also fought Figueroa and some other good fighters. And same with Inouye, who's fought Donaire twice and other champions in lower weight classes and that such uh, thing. And so here we go. Uh, I love when guys challenge themselves. That's what the sport's about. It's prize fighting. You make try to make the biggest prize, and to make the biggest prize, you got to fight the biggest fights. Usually, unless you're on, you know, uh, you're you're supported by a network or a, a promoter or uh, some outfit that's just putting out money. That's not a real business. 
And unfortunately in boxing, sometimes that's happened with certain outlets and certain entities where the, the pay that it goes to the fighters is not related to what the event can generate. In the case of an Inouye versus Fulton, it's going to generate and they're going to make because it generates. Like that. All right. Uh, and we're going to talk about a, a guy in just a second that suffered his first loss. One of the all-time greats, if not the all-time greatest. There's the hint. There's the tease. In just a second with nostalgia. But one more note. Thursday, as we release this podcast, we learn that Xander Zayas, is one of the top prospects of top-ranked boxing. Uh, he was to have been on the April 1st card with Robesi Ramirez and Isaac Dogbay fighting on the undercard. He's now off that card due to injury. Fill in any more there on that. What do we know? We don't know the injury. It's undisclosed, or maybe you found it out. But well, he's off I did. the card. I... He, can't, he can't recover from it in time to fight. Right. He was supposed to be in that co-feature. That's April 1st uh, in uh, Oklahoma, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Unfortunately, he's hurt. It's not something serious, I'm told. I'm, ter- I'm told it's a hand injury. Uh, happens all the time with boxers, so he'll lay off. I'm told he's probably they're they're targeting a return in June, uh, so he'll just miss the one fight. And so what they did was took the fight between uh, the featherweight uh, uh, contender, former title challenger Joette Gonzalez, who was fighting uh, Jose Enrique Vivas uh, on the ESPN uh, card, but a little bit lower down the card. They moved that up to the to the co-feature. This is on ESPN Plus, um, so he would have been on ESPN Plus anyway. But it's just now higher on the card because this whole fight is an ESPN Plus event, not on the linear channel. In any event, so that's the case. Uh, Xander Zayas, uh, one of the best prospects out there. I had him in my top two or three, I think, on my end-of-the-year prospect list. He's a, a tremendous uh, young fighter, 20 years old, a Puerto Rican fighter uh, based out of Sunrise, Florida, undefeated, uh, was the youngest fighter ever signed by top rank when he was like 16. Uh, he broke the record uh, that had been set previously. And, uh, you know, hopefully he gets better quick and we see him back in the ring because he's exciting. He's got a great personality. He's going to draw a lot of fans to his events. Uh, I already know from being, and this is not the first time, in December when he fought at Madison Square Garden on the undercard of the Tiafimo Lopez, uh, Pedro Campa, uh, uh, Tiafimo Lopez, not Campa, who was his opponent in December? Oh, against uh, Sandra Martin. Yes. That that, that fight card in the garden, uh, Xander was on that undercard, and, and uh, talking to some of the Madison Square Garden officials there, they've been keeping an eye on him. They know that uh, if he continues to develop the way that everybody at top rank believes that he will, they're looking at a guy that down the road in the not too distant future is going to be headlining big shows uh, at Madison Square Garden, probably on a Puerto Rican Day weekend, for example, and uh, start to pack the house. So uh, hopefully he gets better quick and we'll see him back uh, uh, back in June. All right. Nostalgia time to finish it up, as I made reference to just a second ago this past uh, Wednesday, which, by the way, is the date of my birth, March the 8th, 1971. Do I have to sing to you, by the way? No, you don't have to. Uh, And please don't. Uh, I was one on March the 8th, 1971, when the fight happened between Muhammad Ali and Joe, uh, Joe Frazier, smoking Joe Frazier. They had been trying to make that fight, uh, on and off for a couple of years. It finally happened in 1971 and most notable because Frazier beat Ali, the first ever loss for Muhammad Ali, uh, that night at Madison square garden, speaking of MSG, it was electric, movie stars. It was a humongous event, and Frazier not only uh, won the fight, he knocked Ali down. Uh, and so a, a lot of people at that time, and again, you and I were barely on the planet, but you go back, you read, you watch, you listen to everybody talk. There was definitely a faction of the fan base that wanted to see Muhammad Ali humbled, shut up, silenced, and Frazier on that night beat him. Now, ultimately, it didn't silence Ali for very long, uh, in all in all of this, and he came back and won titles, et cetera. 
But you were talking about defeats. Ali got beat 52 years ago this week in his first fight. So it's it's worth noting because it was a humongous. This was the first mega heavy heavyweight fight in terms of the box office, in terms of closed circuit TV uh, that they really were cashing in on because it built up for a couple of years with Ali Frazier one. A few words from you real quick. You can argue that this is the biggest fight in the history of boxing in terms of public interest. I mean, it obviously didn't set the records and all that. because, And again, it was only in a Madison Square Garden which hold 20-some thousand people. But in magnitude of event, of significance around the world, of the entire world's attention on this arena in midtown Manhattan uh, for one night in 1971, it's the biggest fight in the history of boxing. The fight, the fight of the century. People will talk about it till the end of time. Uh, the reason why it was so big, besides, like you mentioned, was being built up uh, over the la- over the few years, is because Joe Frazier was an undefeated heavyweight champion. Muhammad Ali was undefeated. He was still the lineal champion to the many views of the view of many. He had never been beaten for the titles in the ring. He'd been stripped of the titles because of his uh, situation with uh, refusing uh, induction into the military to serve in Vietnam, which was a huge issue. Uh, it, wasn't just a boxing issue or a sports issue. It crossed over into the American culture, and it was a, a, a new story besides a sports story. So Ali uh, was basically out of boxing, suspended for three and a half years, uh, had a, a comeback fight, and when he finally was able to get the fight with Frazier, it was considered two champions fighting each other because Joe, in the, in the time when Ali was out of the ring because of the suspension, uh, the, it's not like the heavyweight division in boxing came to a halt. He went around and took care of his business and won uh, – won titles and and this was the chance now to fight the undefeated guy that a, a lot of people still thought was the real champ and that you were just an interloper let's say because uh, you never really took it from the champ and uh this was a cataclysmic collision the first fight of the greatest trilogy in the history of the sport uh, by the view of many they had three big fights obviously the first fight was the one we're talking about the second fight not quite as uh, hyped up and not for the world title and doesn't get a lot of love and wasn't all that good. But then of course the third fight, which was Thrilla in Manila, arguably the greatest action heavyweight fight of all time as grueling and violent and, and uh, just brutal as you'll ever see for any weight class. Uh, And that was a heavyweight championship defense. Ali had regained the title by that time. Um, But their first fight 52 years ago this week, uh, as big of a boxing event as you can possibly imagine. If you thought Mayweather Pacquiao was a big deal, this was like a hundred times that in terms of the attention. You have to understand we're in a different era now in terms of heavyweights and the attention on boxing. It was so much more mainstream in the sixties and in the seventies. I mean, consider this baseball was the biggest, most popular sport in America and arguably boxing and the heavyweight champion was the second biggest deal. Do you, did you hear me not say the national football league football? I mean, the the heavyweight champion was the second biggest deal, and boxing was probably the second biggest deal behind the New York Yankees, the L.A. Dodgers, the Brooklyn Dodgers moving to L.A. at that time, uh, the Chicago Cubs, and Major League Baseball, uh, the St. Louis Cardinals, et cetera, et cetera. It was that big of a deal. One of the reasons also that it stood the test of time is as for all the hype and crazy promotion that this thing got and the anticipation that everybody had for it, how big of a deal it was in the pre-fight, the fight lived up to it. It was a yes. really great fight. I mean, Frazier wins the fight. Yes, he knocked Ali down in the last round, in the 15th round. But it was a great action fight back and forth. Uh, I, I was really thrilled uh, when they celebrated the 50th anniversary of this fight back a couple of years ago. 
ABC and ESPN, they they had uh, cleaned up the video. Yes. And they did some bells and whistles around it, and they re-showed the entire fight in its original form, uh, and it was beautiful to watch. And and I actually, believe it or not, this I mean, I make a lot – people know me that I collect fights, and I've got a ridiculously obscene uh, uh, amount of the VHS and DVDs of, of boxing over the last, you know, 30-plus years I've been doing it. But I actually still have that ABC special. You put it to a DVD, but I still have the ABC uh, special that I mentioned from two years ago. Still have it saved to my DVR. And every now and then, I just, for the hell of it, I watch it. There you go. It was that big of a deal. That big of a deal from this week. All right. Quick nostalgia on another fight. Hit on on this uh, because not so much the fight itself. This was 15 years ago. It was the WBC heavyweight title fight. It was in Cancun, Mexico. And Rayfield, you better deliver. Because you've been teasing <laughs> that what went on around this fight between Samuel Peter and and uh, Moskayev was better than the fight or anything that went on in the ring. So deliver real quick on the nostalgia. What are you talking about from 15 years ago, 2008? Well, okay, the fight itself was like it was a decent fight. I'm um, Samuel. Just to set it up here, Samuel Peter at that time was the you know the the uh, a devastating puncher and 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 Maskev had won the WBC title and they were fighting a mandatory fight. It was a long time coming. It was on HBO. They did the fight in the bull ring in downtown Mexico in uh, in downtown Cancun, Mexico. And uh, amazingly, not only did I go to travel to cover that fight, but there was actually a number of of uh, guys from the U.S. press corps that actually made the trip. Uh, my buddy Greg Beecham from the Associated Press and Kevin Ioli from Yahoo Sports. And at the time, Tim Smith was still working for the New York Daily News. And, you know, we had a good group of American guys and it was a blast. And uh, I got a bunch of memories of that that show. So the fight itself, uh, it was a big deal because Sam Peter, you know, fulfilled uh, the the prophecy, if you will, of so many people that thought he would become a heavyweight champion. It didn't last long, but he did knock all leg out in round six. But there was a lot of stuff going on around that fight. Number number two, the rest of the card, you had a huge upset in the co-feature, which was Juan Diaz, who at that time had three of the main lightweight titles and was the number one guy from a lot of people's views. Going into that fight, he was taking on Nate Campbell, who uh, you know was a good fighter, but really wasn't given a, a big chance to win the fight. He scored the big upset and and won. That was at a time when um, uh, Don King was was in a you know he was the promoter of the show, and uh, Juan Diaz was kind of in a beef uh, with him at that time, and they were trying to make deals and this and that. So Juan was sort of preoccupied. He was leaving Don King at that time and about what to a sign surprise. Him. Only heard that story eighty seven times. Keep going. Now, another fight that was on the card that didn't actually happen was a, it was supposed to be, if my memory serves, it was a WBC junior welterweight title eliminator that wasn't even going to be on television, actually. It was not supposed to be part of the HBO broadcast, but this is how deep cards were back then. Uh, Timothy Bradley was supposed to fight Jose Luis Castillo, the former lightweight champion, in a really interesting fight. And what happened to that? Uh, Jose Castillo, as he had done before, did not make the weight and the fight was canceled. So that went by the wayside. They also had a heavyweight fight on the card between two well-known heavyweights, Jamil McCline and John Ruiz, who are in a WBC elimination fight. Um, so that was a typical like loaded Don King card uh, with not all the fights even being televised. But I have some memories of that. So they did the weigh-in for that fight. First time and only time I've ever been to a weigh-in on the beach. And it was on the beach in Cancun. It was about, I swear to God, I can still, it was so fucking hot that, we it was just devastating how hot i can't believe they made all those fighters stand out there for so long in the heat uh trying to weigh in for the fight and they have to go do their fight the next night uh it was just brutally hot and at that weigh-in 
I met, uh, who is now the former WBA heavyweight champion, Nikolai Valuev. Remember the seven foot plus, yes. 300 pound plus big Russian who won the WBA title. He was uh, there on, I don't know if he was a guest of Don King, was I guess was working with that time. So I met him in person. And to this day, he is the largest human being I've ever seen in person. He shook my hand, TJ. His hand, I think, went up to my elbow. <laughs> That's how big this person was. I'm the nicest guy in the world, but just, I mean, like, it, it, it took your breath away how big the man was. So when I think about David Hay, who was, you know, a normal-sized heavyweight, actually smaller because he'd been a cruiserweight, for him to have beaten him to win that WBA title was sort of impressive sure. uh, given the size disparity. Um and that was just a fun week. So I'll tell you a little about, though, again, this is all besides the fight. I'm telling you, have, you, look, you've run down the fight card, and it's great yeah. that you got to meet Valuev. Did I say it right? Valuev. You buried the lead. You teased something <laughs> to me before the podcast began. Now, this is the trappings around the fight besides being on the bench, uh, being on the beach. Give me that real quick all before right. we wrap it up. So the place that was sort of the host hotel of the fight where all the fighters were staying and the, and the media that was there and a lot of the, the promotion people was, I don't remember the name. It was an all-inclusive sort of resort right on okay. that main, you know, it, that's just in Cancun. It's just one after the other. There's just a million resorts and beautiful places to stay and right on the ocean, just gorgeous. I mean, you could just, just, it's the nicest place I've ever covered a fight in terms of where I stayed as far as the views and all that. So all-inclusive. So I remember checking into my room and on the wall in the room, um, you know, you go into a hotel, you might have like a free bottle of water or maybe like a, you know, a thing, you know, complimentary, like a lemonade or something like that. In this place, because it was all-inclusive, everybody paid for it when they checked in, there was these three spigots. One was filled with rum, one was filled with vodka, and one was filled <laughs> with tequila. And it just, they would, it was just drinks in Complimentary. your room. On just, tap. It was like you go to like, a, ready. like yep, yep, you go okay. like a water spigot, you put your, your cup under and you fill up with water. <laughs> you can do the same thing here. You want tequila, you want rum, you want vodka. And I don't really, I'm not a drinker. So that was like right. ridiculous to me. Now, as it turned out, and I, this was just like a, 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 just a, a happenstance. I'm on probably like the fifth floor, something like that. My room overlooked the pool. Okay. Which was, as I realized, a topless pool. <laughs> so, so, so what you're saying is Rayfield began to do most of his work, air quotes, out on the balcony overlooking the pool is what you're saying. All right. So back at the time, so Don King, his publicist was, an, was a guy named Alan Hopper. And Alan Hopper was, if you're if you were a writer or a media person, you couldn't ask for a better guy to deal with. Just the best. I mean, as much fun to hang around with and to, to cover fights with and to, you know, very helpful with whatever you needed. So I remember like one morning uh, or one afternoon, whatever, we're having breakfast or lunch and, you know, the, the restaurants are sort of like overlooking the pool. And so Hopper's like, you know, we're getting ready to leave. He's like, no, I want to stay there because he wanted to look at the topless women. Who could blame him? <laughs> so we like hung out for like, you know, half and an hour. And give us an idea. Not You're still married uh, because you obviously didn't get divorced after covering this. And Mrs. Rayfield may not know this, but if she listens to the podcast, she's now finding out about this. Are we talking about like three women? Are we talking like 15 women? We're talking, we talking like about 50. <laughs> it was a it was a resort at, with a, at a pool. And it was, you know, there was there was men there also, but it was probably like 80, 20 women to men. Oh. I mean, it was, and, and and you're saying for the only time in your career, you were probably as mesmerized by stuff outside the ring, poolside, than anything that did go on the ring, on in the ring for that fight card. 
I, I can't say I was disappointed. That was a great trip. <laughs> I mean, even if the fight wasn't anything at what point, okay, you got to get personal with me just for 3.9 seconds. At what point did you own up to that with Mrs. Raphael that you had that view while working? You probably kept that to yourself for a while. I have to tell you, I don't know if I've ever told her. I hope she's not listening to the podcast. <laughs> it was I don't 15 know if years ago, but it's 15 years ago. So this we shows you he's yeah. still committed to Mrs. Raphael, even though there was, and that was what, like two or three so, days worth that you're overlooking the pool. I would right? think I was down for like four days or whatever. <laughs> uh, but so, so this is another. This is hey, Raphael, you want to go do something? No, I'm good. I'm out here working uh, out on the balcony. I'm good. I will say this. So when that was over, I had to come home and throw my shoes away because we're in the bull ring. And they, it, you were like walking in, in like shit, like literally. Of course, it was ridiculous. Yes, but uh, the experience of covering the covering the fight in the bull ring, we were like all worried about: Are we going to be able to have our access to be able to send our stories? Because this is not a modern facility. You're not covering a fight at the MGM Grand or a place that was built with uh, uh, boxing in mind or whatever. You're at a bull ring. It's you know it's half covered, half outside, and you know are we going to be able to send our stories? So uh, again, my man Alan Hopper. Uh, went to like the local equivalent of like uh actually you know what now that i'm thinking about it it was um, we didn't touch on this but there was in the news this week was the the death of the the late great bobby goodman mm -hmm. bobby goodman was the vice president of don king productions for many many years and also was a great matchmaker his his uh, father is in the boxing hall of fame as a publicist he's also in the hall of fame uh, bobby is he he's done everything in boxing and he was down there and I, I was I was close to him for many, many years when I would visit my grandmother in South Florida. I would go over to Don King's office, which was right across the highway from my, where my grandmother lived. And I would spend time with Bobby and, uh, you know, have lunch with him and that sort of stuff. Uh, Bobby and I went to like what was the equivalent with Alan of like whatever Cancun's version of Walmart was. It wasn't Walmart, but something like that to buy a router so they could set it up in the uh, bullring to make sure we could have our wireless so all of the writers could send their stories. And in literally the way the bull ring was, I never forget this. The doorway was behind us like where you could exit. And they literally ran the thing from like some like wall socket outside the, outside the bull ring to our <laughs> area by our desk. That It was only by the grace of God that nobody like pulled it out or kicked it or whatever. Uh. Because there was just a fucking wire. Because the... generally speaking, there are not a lot of power outlets in the bull ring with the matador in the bull. Just so they literally... Sense. They literally ran the wire along the like I think they left it there because all covered with shit when we were done. Like <laughs> they just left it there because it was like you would want to pick it up and take it with them. So, but we were able to get our stories out, and it was because we went to the store with. Uh, I went. I don't know why. I was just sort of maybe bored that morning. I went with. I probably had been looking at the because pool you. Too long. I was going to say you had been at the pool seeing breast implants for too long. Continue. Yes. Uh, hey, listen. They, they look good. What can I say? Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that that was a. That was quite the experience. And I can wow. also remember on the way home on the Sunday, having a delayed flight from the Cancun airport. And I ended up sitting with uh, the late, great HBO uh, unofficial square, Harold Letterman and his daughter, uh, Julie Letterman, who has been a judge for many years. They were also at the fight. Harold obviously was working for HBO. I don't remember if Julie was a judge or she'd just come down to take a few days in a nice uh, place like Cancun, but sitting, uh, you know, in a, in a, in a place uh, having a little lunch uh, while we were waiting for our delayed flights at the airport and uh, Harold and I talking about uh, how, while we were at the resort, you know, seeing all the topless women for four days. Mm -mm -mm. We talked about that. I think hopefully, a little bit more than we talked about that, that was while Julie was away from you. Yeah. I think she women, women I was going to say women don't take that the same way that men do on that conversation. All right. Excellent. Quite a trip. On the Quite nostalgia. a trip 15 years hey, ago. I, so. Listen, 
I have something that is crazier than that, but we do. And it's that same week, 2008, but we don't have time on this podcast. The only thing I will say to you is that in 2008 doing basketball, like I am right now, and I'm about to travel to Atlantic city. I was part of the Southeastern conference basketball tournament in the Georgia dome in Atlanta, where a tornado hit the building 15 years ago this week, the week you were in Cancun, looking at all kinds of uh, whatever you were looking at at poolside and covering that fight in the bull ring. TJ almost got wiped out before Dan Rayfield ever met him because of a tornado that skimmed the Georgia Dome the night uh, of the uh, the SEC basketball tournament that I was working on national radio. That's the same week. This week is the same week, not the exact same day in March of 2008 that that was going on. I won't tell the whole elaborate story, but it's crazy. It's crazy, and it does not involve breast implants. With that being said, uh, I think we pretty well got a full show with the previews. We're looking forward to what's going to happen with Zoo and Harrison. And again, Diego Pacheco headlining at Liverpool, England, Saturday afternoon, U.S. time, Saturday night in England. Uh, Tony Yoka back in Paris, the heavyweight. Does he have the heart? Does he have the moxie anymore? He's got a headlining fight against a veteran. We'll see what happens in all those fights. Again, I am headed, Dan, to Atlantic City to do basketball. When I am back, and after the Selection Sunday show is over and all the brackets are out and I get all my college basketball stuff done, let's reconvene. Let's get a podcast out Monday and recap the weekend. What do you say? I say the 12th on Sunday is also when we'll get the winner of the PPV sweepstakes for the uh, showtime. And they can go to ppvsweeps.com to enter to go on a possibility of going on an all-expenses-paid trip, airfare, hotel tickets, and $1,000 spending cash to go see the Benavides plant uh, pay-per-view main event. They've got to enter by Sunday, though. PPVsweeps.com. They've got to enter by Sunday to be able to get in. I think it's a full show. The only bad thing about it, TJ, is I actually went and read the rules. And because they've been so kind to sponsor us the last couple of weeks. Yep. We're not eligible to enter ourselves. Disappointing, but that means better chance for you guys to go and win. Enter and win ppvsweeps.com, Benavides, plant, pay-per-view, Vegas, flight, hotel. I may have said this, fight tickets and a thousand bucks. Uh, go enter. They've got secondary prizes too to get the free pay-per-views, ppvsweeps.com. With that, I think we're good. My friend, have a great weekend. I'm off to Atlantic City. I'll report back. We'll come off the weekend, talk about all these fights, see if Tim Zoo does get that knockout. Dan Rayfield, thank you. Have a great weekend. You bet, TJ. Thanks. And we thank you for watching as well. Again, go check out the Bet US show. We've already done the show for this week. It's not live on Friday, but you get all the handicapping of these fights, Bet US, and our Bet US boxing show that comes your way every week, typically live on Fridays. But we've already done it for this week. For now, we're good. Headed into the weekend. It is the Big Fight Weekend Preview. Bye.